Hello, Mark Washbourne here, your host, and welcome to The Ready Podcast. I think the biggest thing leaders can do right now is skill people, create cultures that allow for experimentation and risk-taking, and learning and sharing and continuing to committing to, you know, this purposeful work or this new way of working. Rachel Bondi, welcome to The Ready Podcast. How are you? I'm really well, Mark. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, really excited to have you. Look, you've been at Microsoft for 26 years. You're a stone-cold lifer, I think <laughs> it's fair to say. Can you, uh, obviously now uh, Vice President for Asia, yep. can you tell us a bit about what you do every day? Yeah, look, um, I have a lot of fun every day. That's what I would say, Mark, and that's probably what's kept me at Microsoft for 26 years this month. Extraordinary. Happy it anniversary. Is, look, thank you. I love it. I love the company. I love the mission and I love the people. I think that totally keeps me here. And as you and I have shared before, I spent a lot of my career in the United States. So 18 of that 26, I was working in the yep. Bay Area and Seattle. And for family reasons, um, the company moved me back here to Sydney, Australia. So I'm one of the lucky, you know, imports back into the country and I love it. Um, but now I'm excited to be covering what I would say is an APJ region. So everywhere from Greater China to India to ASEAN to ANZ and it's Japan and Korea and it's an incredible time to be working across those um, different countries, cultures and technology at the moment. So it's keeping me very busy and on a plane, but I'm really happy to be here in Sydney today talking to you. No, I know you spend a lot of time on planes. Yes. And I know you just got back from Japan, I yes, think, last week. I did. Let's come back to you. I'd love to talk to you about Asian perspective and different approaches for different countries. Maybe we can come back to that. But I'd really love to talk to you about, look, ChatGPT was released mm. in December last year. And I was actually thinking a couple of weeks ago, you know what the world needs is, the world really needs another podcast about AI. <laughs> <laughs> no one said that actually recently. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. <laughs> but we're kind of like, we're eight months in now and I yeah. guess the dust has sort of settled. So what's it been like? You know, you're working at a company that's obviously really close to this stuff. You know, what's it been like the last eight months? Oh, look, it's been great. It, it hasn't been anything quite like it out of the 26 years, quite honestly. And I've I've seen Microsoft on the good days and on some of the not so good days. And I think it's, it's exciting. Look, it's exciting to be in tech. Um, I will say it was a year of two stories. We had one which was around you know, retention and layoffs, which was something that I had been through before, but many of my team members had not. And then interjecting into that, you had this huge change in the technology landscape mm. with the introduction of generative AI. Um, I think of Microsoft, what does it mean? I think most people know that we had a partnership with ChatGPT uh, or OpenAI back in 2017, and it's a very, very deep partnership. So, Bing is ChatGPT and ChatGPT is Bing. Um, and what I always like to say is Bing is back, Mark. So <laughs> it's been a really, really interesting time, but I've never in my 26 years experienced what I'm experiencing right now. So with that, there is a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of unknown, but I think I share with you that I'm a tech optimist and I'm just looking forward to how this unfolds over the next few days, weeks, months, and years. Mm. So bada boom, bada bing, I think we can safely say. There we can. I like that. I'll I'll take that myself. You can you can, <laughs> you can run with that one. 
I actually put into chat GPT, help me to come up with a new tagline for being, and that's what came back. Ah, did it? Did it? <laughs> maybe, Interesting. Maybe. <laughs> so uh, like, I, I remember, the, do you remember the first time you used chat GPT? I did. I did. And do I you think, think you have a magical moment? I wouldn't look it it became this thing I remember exactly the thing that was done and it was it was about writing a poem for somebody's birthday which I think everybody has tried it you know and we've talked about this from the boardroom to the barbecue you know it's been very very topical so I think it was very novel to begin with but I would say today it has completely transformed how I lead and how I work. And I'm not using ChatGPT now because we have sort of services that I think are much more suitable for an organisation with the right amount of data security and protection that we need. Um, so, but no, it's completely transformed how I work and actually how I interact with my team probably is probably the big thing that I'm noticing as well. I feel like I did have sort of a magical moment and sort of brought to mind that Arthur C. Clarke And what phrase. was it, Mark? Uh, I think it was, like you said, it was actually to not only present something or to summarise something or provide an introduction to a presentation or something like that, but it was in a style of. And it was, I think, for the first time, I really felt that there was not just the processing of information and the sorting of information, but the application of creativity, you know, yeah. which felt very human. And to me, it just feels like, a, you know, felt like a very significant step change. And yeah. and since then, we've been on a hype cycle, really, haven't we? Yeah, we have. We have. But I would say the hype is real. And I just know how it's changed. Um, to, I can give you two examples of how I use it every day, just to give you an example. Let's do that. So one is in meetings, we have capability to basically capture, you run a meeting, and at the end of that time, you can ask the co-pilot for teams to summarise the key actions. And what I love about it, because it helps with inclusion, is by using the AI algorithm, I'm not creating bias in the actions. Yeah. Because sometimes if you're running a meeting, you can actually create actions that might be more beneficial for you. So I've said to the team, well, only action the AI-generated key actions to avoid any bias, to avoid any um, particular points of view, and also will help with prioritization as well, because I love to do lots of things. And I think it really is a great way of doing it because you can keep on asking it top three things, top one thing, it will help you sort of do that as well. So that's, that's one part in terms of providing inclusion and focus for sort of team members and, and, and using sort of the algorithms for that. And the other one definitely is around my own comms. I write my own communications because, particularly for internal comms, but also external as well, just because I like my own voice. I like my own perspective and I can do it much easier. And I'm not procrastinating. I think whenever I like writing my comms, I would spend too much time on it. So I feel as though I can do it and be in less procrastination, but it still has my voice. And the nice thing about it is that it's not giving somebody else a job that is probably not as purposeful. Mm. And I'm sure we'll get into purposeful work, but I think for me, I've been able to do the things that I think should be automated and still keep a lot of me in sort of what I'm trying to do as a leader and as a team member. 
Now, I think the the term that I've only heard in the last couple of weeks is that generative AI is the great procrastination killer. Yeah. You know, I've absolutely felt that. You know, sometimes just getting started is the hardest part, right? Yeah. Uh, but then putting over your own style once it oh, gets totally. you to 75% and personalizing. Yeah. You know, that's absolutely how I'm using it as well. And, you know, you sort of talked about purposeful work. You know, we have started to use the GitHub Copilot mm. with our software developers. You know, many are coming back saying that they are... 25%, 20-25% more productive than they were previously. What they're also saying is that they're really enjoying it, you know, yeah. that work is more fun and that, you know, they can actually, there's slightly less um, mental load mm. or, or cognitive load that's sort of easing some of that burden and then they can, of course, do more high-value work and be a bit more strategic and so forth. So I think it's extremely encouraging that an assistant can actually make you enjoy work more than maybe you were doing previously. Look, it's spot on. We have a annual workplace index um, and we survey 30,000 people across all different countries. And that's what the survey is telling us. Right. It's saying two main things. It's saying that while people feel as though it may impact their job, about 60% think that it will impact their job in some way, shape or form. 80% of people are also saying they want the automation. They want to remove some of the administrative tasks that they're having to do. So I think at the end of the day, what's happening here is just a whole transformation in the way that we will work in the future. And that, to me, is super exciting. Absolutely. So a, a report came out, I think it's this week or last week, from Tech Council of Australia. And they have estimated that for the Australian economy in the next few years, up to 2030, mm. that there'll be an economic benefit of over $100 billion. That is awesome. It's a big number. It's a big number. And, uh, you know, it's about two, they estimate between 2 to 5% of economic output, which is pretty incredible. So, uh, yeah, just uh, interested to sort of hear from your perspective as to, obviously, it's very exciting. Is it possible? Is it feasible? And, and where might we see these types of gains? Look, I'm excited, as you and I have shared, because we we share a lot in common about our ambitions for Australia and the tech industry. And, you know, the Tech Council of Australia is doing amazing work to help further that agenda. And I think we both aspire for more of our GDP to orientate from technology and IP. And that doesn't mean it has to always be about technology companies. It can be about some of our top industries in Australia becoming more digitally advanced, which I think is great. It will improve our productivity. It will help improve our contribution to social justice topics. And I think that's all great in the big scheme of where you and I see Australia in the next you know, 10, 15, 20 years for future generations. The adoption of AI in Australia is actually... I, I spend a lot of time talking to more CEOs than I have ever done before. So I know the boardroom is super, super interested in this. I think the trick will be is the ramp of adoption. Yeah. I know Australian-based companies do get um, their top of mind is around data residency. And some of these services, I see other markets in Asia who are jumping more on the chance of innovating now and not waiting for that. So I think the thing with Australian companies will be how they will mobilise what's available today and start piloting. And, and I recognise some companies require data residency, but that shouldn't be a blocker for others that um, still get the security protocols that we have at Microsoft to allow them to still pilot test and deploy services. And what else are you seeing 
at Microsoft and adoption and, and, and other companies? Any good examples that you can share of uh, you know, adoption practices or ways that maybe companies are thinking about an AI strategy for their companies? So I think for me, the different markets are very, very different. And I would say that I continue to be really impressed with companies within India and China as to how they think about AI and their adoption of AI. And I think that goes to the fact that both of those countries are very much about, you know, going global in some ways. And they know that that can be a competitive advantage to them. So I definitely see different trends across the different countries of Asia. I also think for me, it's all about leadership and, you know, the CIO, and I know you work with a lot of them as well, Mm -hmm. you know, when they went through COVID, they were definitely the hero when it came to remote working and getting people productive at home. And that required one set of skills. I think the CIO of the future is going to require a different set of skills, particularly around innovation, critical thinking. And that to me is where I also see maybe differences or things that we can do here in Australia to continue to invest in our CIO and also the C-suite in terms of what they know about this technology and how they can use it. And I think I've noticed in different markets, again, like India and Singapore, Indonesia, that that is a really core part of how they see their C-suite and that's creating a different type of conversation. Yeah, so I think we've got many people listening who are leading companies and thinking about even where do I get started with AI or we'd like to do more or we need to move quicker is probably something that I think a lot of people would have that sense. So you spoke about leadership, leadership from the CIO. I think it comes from wider than that as well, you know, to have a a culture building around thinking around innovation and AI. So, you know, what would you share with leaders who are wanting to maybe accelerate on that journey? So I think I'll start with people and culture And then we may touch on a little bit around technology and how to think about that, because I think that is a big thing people are thinking through. But I think this is about making it definitely known as an organisation that this is important to you as a leader. And I'm even trying to do it with my own team. And, you know, I sit within Microsoft, but creating space for people to use the technology. And, And we have co-pilot technology running in our organization now. And we also have a lot of AI that's available. But I think, you know, it's just creating space because I think you tend to go back to how things are always done. And I think the biggest thing you can do as leaders and managers and team members is to create the space on really understanding what is the business opportunity or what's the thing that we have to go solve and how can we do it in a different way. And then how to do that? Look, I've seen various execution. Look, Gilbert and Tobin about a month Mm. ago did a $20,000. Law firm, right? Yeah, competition. And they solicited incredible ideas across their organization. I love that as a way for leadership saying this is important to us. We're creating space and we're going to recognize people for it. I also saw some incredible examples out of Singapore where they're creating Transformation teams, um, people that would be 100% just dedicated to applying their knowledge on how to improve business process and operations. So I think the answer to the question is, is creating space, talking about as a leadership team, skilling people for what they need around prompt engineering. I don't, we'll probably get into like how you use the prompt. It's something that you can learn. It's not something that you can give to people and help them support that. So for me, I think the biggest thing leaders can do right now is skill people, 
create cultures that allow for experimentation and risk-taking and learning and sharing and continuing to committing to, you know, this purposeful work or this new way of working. 1,000% agree. I know that's a lot of percent. So just to share how we've thought about that at ReadyTech. Yeah. Firstly, about creating space, because I could not agree more. We just have to let people experiment and play and become used to using these new technologies and applying them. So we have AI Week coming up. Oh, AI Week. That sounds great. It's going to be fun. And so what we actually found was that a lot of the existing platforms that we're using, some of them are Microsoft. We have CRMs. You know, we have project management systems. Virtually all of them have released some form of of co-pilot. And we need to give people the space to play with those. And what we've actually found is the vendors themselves are actually willing to come in and and talk to us about that and help with adoption and so forth. So amazing opportunity, I hope, for our team to get space. I think it's great. I think it's great. I think pocketing that learning and continuing to develop people is the number one job. I also think the biggest thing I also get from people is, well, how do I deal with this safely in my organization? And whether it be Microsoft, yes, I work at Microsoft, but I think a lot of the vendors, learning models aren't great products, but great products can be great learning models, meaning SaaS is probably how things are going to evolve. That's why Microsoft has made um, this much more integrated into our products, this concept of the co-pilot. And it's not about, you know, just being on autopilot versus co-pilot. It's how the data is managed and how the data is secure. So all of the data that um, is within the Microsoft 365 environment stays in that environment and you're still getting the best of the machine learning models from the consumer products that we release in the market. So I think for me, I do want to recognize that, yes, you want to create people and culture, but you have to do it in a way that's in accordance to, you know, the the security and the data and the protection that you need for your customers and your partners as well. Well, we absolutely need guardrails because, of course, there is a great risk with the world of open AI. Yeah. That it, and it is quite easy to move sensitive data yes. into a public model. And again, another role for the CIO. Uh, and again, I don't think that's just about process. It's That's about education and awareness and understanding. So we have an innovation culture, but also an, a culture that understands how to do things safely yep. and a security culture and one that has the notion of privacy and what's in and what's out, you know, embedded into the organisation. I was going to ask you about, you know, the idea of creativity, because I think this plays a really big part in how people can apply and use the technology. It's understanding what the problem is, is that you're trying to solve and then applying creativity to it. So I'll be really, really interested in your AI week and how you continue to learn and develop up people around creativity and critical thinking skills, because I think that's what will be required to get the most out of this. Absolutely. Well, let's talk more about skills, because the skills that we require in the future are going to be very different. Mm. And uh, look, I'm just in- incredibly excited to give our team you know, this space and uh, I think the other aspect we talked about culture is that really inherent need to have an agile culture and ability to adapt fast and, and move things forward and take things yeah. on because of this, this is going very fast, right? And, yeah. and the speed of adoption. 
Experimentation and failure have to be much more core of our DNA, which is great. Absolutely. Now, we share a common passion in skilling, right? So we should disclose to the listeners that we're part of something that's much bigger than this, right? It's called the Future Skills Organization. Go for it. I'll let you do the... uh, (laughs) Talk about the transition and then where we are now and and what we're going to conquer. Yeah, look, um, for the viewers out there, Mark (laughs) and I have been a part of what was formerly called the Digital Skills Organization, which was a um, government-funded program. Mark was in it from, were you there day one? I think you were. I was in there from day one. Yeah. yeah. And I joined probably like a year into the program and it was to really help this point around Australia improving its productivity and competitiveness in the global economies. And to do that, we recognise that digital skilling was a core part of that. So we've now become an official organisation called Future Skills Organisation. We're both non-executive independent directors, which has been great to work with you on. And our mission is simple. It's to create, you know, a better environment for our kids and their kids with regards to Australia and our economic growth of the future. And we believe, again, that it's an underpinning of digital skilling across technology, finance and banking. What's it to you, Mark? Well, I think, first of all, when I got involved, and you said, obviously, I was there from day one. I thought, oh, we'd be able to sort this problem out. You know, it won't, won't, it'll be pretty straightforward. We solve problems all the time. <laughs> and the skilling problem is very complex. Yeah. And it's vast. And, uh, you know, I think that what would be really, really important to me is that we do start to unlock this notion of lifelong learning. Yeah. I think it goes back to this, everything we were just talking about, there's ongoing education and awareness and, of course, upskilling you know, we really need this system to be a lot more flexible. Yep. I think the ability to continue to be able to dip in and out of education, you know, just in time learning. And also, I think a huge role for government is to work out how we actually fund that. Yep. You know, I think the current model, particularly in vocational education, is funded, is not really supporting that ability to uh, continue to work through a different career pathways and have that clearly articulated. So, Really, really big problem. Uh, excited to be working and solving yeah, it with you and the team. It's great. Look, I think the other big thing to me is it's about collaboration and it's um, everybody plays a role. So we have representation from government. We have representation from union bodies. We have representation from tech, from business and finance. And we also have representation from the education sector. I'm excited that we have both vet representation and I think we're going to continue to partner with the universities based on the accord work that's happening at the moment. And look, it is a really, really hard problem, but I know you and I don't shy away from hard problems or big opportunities. And I'm really optimistic that we're now in our strategic planning process where we can collaborate more with the top employers in our country and really make long lasting change through this idea of lifelong learning. So I'm all with you on that. So, as we said, it's a hard problem. And if there's one thing that you could change about our skilling system and the framework and the the whole programs of skilling, what would that be? Mm -hmm. Great question. I would love to see industry, you know, really come together and put separate individual agendas aside to come together to solve one problem. If we could get the top 100 publicly listed ASX companies together 
to want to make a difference, I think that will make a big step forward. I think everybody wants to act for speed and action, and that tends to then make people go slightly in different directions. But I think everybody is trying to achieve the same thing at the same time. I think then also for me, on the other hand, it's around how do we, you know, really lean into where the different education groups play a role. I'm I'm a big fan of the vet sector. I started my whole career as a teacher. Right. Um, I started, I, that's what I started in university, but there's only two things I could do when I grew up in my rural country town. It was you either become a nurse, you become a teacher. And I became a teacher because I can't stand blood. So teaching it was, but I think we've got more work to do in higher ed, in uh, the vet sector, and then also in K through 12 around teacher capability and readiness for this new world. And I think that'll be the other big part of our strategic plan. So totally agree with you on being industry-led. And this is the opportunity to really, really lean into that because we have a, to a degree, a fresh sheet of paper and ability to do that. So couldn't agree more. Just interested, you mentioned about your upbringing there. Mm. You know, is this where the passion for education and skills has come from? Talk us through, firstly, that, you know, that early stages and through your career. Yeah. What is it about education and skills that you know, made you spend and focus on this area? Look, I pinch myself every single day and I also... I also shouldn't be here sitting here with you here today. I grew up in a very small rural community and, you know, was encouraged from a very, very early age that you would to stay in the community, which ironically now my two daughters would love to go back into that community because they love the simplicity <laughs> and I do love it in some ways, but I knew from an early age through a grandmother on my father's side that I wanted to achieve more, explore more and do more things. And as I said, when I went through school, look, my year 12 group um, was probably 10 kids. I, I don't even know whether all 10 of them made it through and finished a, a year 12. It was mostly acceptable that you would finish year 10 and get local work in the community. Um, but I just, I don't know what it was, Mark, but I just really wanted to do that. So as I said, I got into teaching and teaching was great. I kind of look back sometimes and every time I hear about a teacher moving into industry, I feel joy and then I feel a little bit of why does that then happen? Um, how can we not keep more teachers in these career pathways that are so, so important for our future, but I'm also very thankful that what I did and learning as a teacher and being part of that and actually teaching young adults trying to re-enter into the workforce, this was when I was 20 I was doing this, just gave me a full appreciation of the importance of this topic. Um, would I like to go back and teach in TAFE at some point? Maybe, Mark. Cool. Maybe. Maybe I'll take a quarter off and do that for a period of time because I think I have huge empathy and I want to continue to have great empathy for that lived experience that many of our teachers go through every single day. Well, I haven't shared this with you yet, but I'm really, really proud that my daughter is going to TAFE ah, next year. Excellent. At TAFE in Ultimo. Oh, great. And what is she studying? Fashion and design. That's fantastic. And uh, I understand Ultimo is one of the very, yeah. very best places to study that. Yeah. So look, incredibly proud of her that, you know, and I've just been a great believer that, for many, many people, yeah. university is not the right pathway. I completely agree. And my nephew and his friend are also going through TAFE as well. And they're finding incredible career opportunities because of it. So I'm 
in complete agreement with you that we need to celebrate and we need to show all people different pathways that make sense um, to them. That's why I'm kind of passionate about doing, you know, we have Teach for America in America. I wish there was a similar type of program here in Australia because I would sign up and get out there tomorrow if I could. Well, there's of course also the intersection here of education teachers and these new technologies coming through, right? And I think there's been a a lot of the the skies falling in type rhetoric Mm -hmm. around chat GPT used in schools you know, to obviously build your assessment very quickly and uh, banning the technology. But of course, on the other hand, this has got incredible opportunity to transform education. And again, probably uplift teachers. Possibly, of course, what's the holy grail really is the ability for for much more personalised learning. Absolutely. And meeting people with where they're at, you know, whether it be learning disabilities or whether it be a teacher understanding exactly where everybody in that classroom is at. And I think this could further advance what people are doing. And I know my own kids, because I'm not as expert in some of these topics, particularly around history and geography, and I use it to help give me a baseline of information to then build upon. Mm, So I think for me, I think it can be an equaliser and it could be more inclusive if used exactly the right way. But it will require the administrations and the board of directors and the faculties to really do exactly what we're seeing in the industry, which is to experiment, to learn, to create space and to also participate in what the government comes out with regards to regulation and other topics that we believe will provide more structure. Well, I'm a history graduate, so I'm really glad that you mentioned history. Huge fan of history. We see history repeating over and over again, don't we? Yes, we do. Through the economy and, you know, you look at populist politics at the moment as well, right? We've seen the story before. Yes. I think maths is is going to be incredibly important in the future as well. Mm. The other area I just wanted to go, actually, and I know it's another area that you're particularly passionate about, is one of equity mm. and fairness. So maybe can we explore, the again, these emerging technologies and AI and what we need to think about to actually make sure that we see more equity and not less mm. and that also people don't get left behind? It's a big topic and, you know... And also, I think as I've traveled around Asia, I'm seeing a different lived experience for women in technology than what I see here in Australia. But I must admit, when I returned back after working in the United States for 18 years, when I came back here, it was actually the first time I felt like a woman in technology. I can't tell you what it was. Well, maybe it was because I'd go into these meetings and I was the only woman. (laughs) that That may have been what it was. And I also didn't have any, they didn't know who I was. And I think you've got to be really careful around how your experience also can give you power. So I think coming back to Australia, no one actually having any context of who I was and being a woman, I was, it it really, really struck me. So it was very, very clear from the onset that I wanted to do more within Microsoft, within the Microsoft, you know, ecosystem, because we obviously partner with a lot of customers and partners. And it's been great to see improvements, but we still have a long way to go. But I think it has improved. I think for me, the biggest topic here that I see is continuing to provide the right amount of flexibility for women and the ability for them to receive equal pay or opportunity 
and them feeling boundarylessness in what they can go after as individuals. So that could come back to skilling and it could also come back from what I think all leaders need to do in their organizations to create an agenda. So yeah, big topic for me. And then as I visit India and as I visit Japan and then when I visit China, I see similar trends, but also very um, uniquenesses. And And I'd love to share with you you know, some of the things that we're doing in India and Japan over time to, you know, help support those women in their objectives and their goals based on what they want to do with their lives, their family and their community. Well, back to the technology, I think the the wonderful thing about the new generative AI technology is that with natural language processing, it's going to become easier and easier to code. Yeah. Right. So the barriers to actually get into the tech industry, I think, will be lower. Mm. The technology is broadly free. Yeah. Chat GPT is, is is actually very cheap. So again, you know, we're reducing barriers. All of that, in my view, should very much help with democratization and access to these types of technologies. And then give access to more people that may not be represented in that. So I completely agree with you. So in preparation, in research to talk to you today, spoke to a couple of your colleagues, Ooh. your peers at Microsoft, and this piece of women in technology and more females and Mm. and more gender diversity was a theme that came through very strongly Mm. and your passion for it. So tell us a bit about why it's important to you and what else you think we need to do. Oh, look, it goes back to that whole point that I wasn't meant to be here today, you know, from a very young age, being directed you know, by stereotypes of what I should or shouldn't do as as a woman, as a young girl, is kind of what got me here. And I have an incredible support structure around me. Um, I have a fabulous husband who is the CEO of the Bondi household. So (laughs) when I do talk to people in Japan, that is one thing that women just can't get their head around. And I think He is incredibly supportive and progressive, um, not just to supporting me, but also our young girls at home by being a stay-at-home dad. I don't see that a lot in Australia. So that enables me not just confidence, but the ability to do what I want to support and do. So he's incredible. That's hi, David, out there if he's listening. Maybe, who knows? <laughs> we can Hi, edit David. that You're one. You're a good man. Well done. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I think for me, as I've taken on this new role for Asia, as I said, when I go into other markets, it's there is something that is, you know, women are considered a core part of, of society, but then in the work situation, how do we elevate their contribution as well? And that's where I think, particularly in Japan, we've been doing some work there. But but early days, but definitely sort of optimistic that through partnerships, through collaboration, that we can make a difference. I think uh, for me, I really would love to see not just more women in technology, but we need more women in executive and leadership roles. ReadyTech's making really good progress yep. here, which yep, I'm really great. proud of, but it's hard, right? And yep. maybe it's because, of course, the time in the field, you know, that you need, you know, going back 10 years, mm. of course, 20 years, you know, the proportion of women was, was of course, much lower. So I think for me, that means that we need to work harder at yep. finding and identifying those emerging leaders and working more intensively with them and, and providing opportunities. And of course, shining the light on role models like yourself. And I do believe with generative AI that experience won't 
be as a core fundamental part of decision making for those executive yeah. decisions as what critical thinking yeah. and big thinking would be. So for me, the early in career men and women in my organization, I want to pull them forward. Like this should allow for you know, what does 25 years experience actually mean anymore? It shouldn't, it, I think there's an equalization that everybody can be lifted up. And I would love to see more early in career um, folks on my leadership team, because I think that's what these new tools will provide people. Well, I've got a friend who's a doctor, he's a GP, yep. just come back from the UK. We were talking about AI and what that means for the role of the GP, right? I just want to draw a parallel. Yep. And uh, of course now, the diagnosis and the treatments can be provided a lot quicker by AI than they, they could be. And without doubt, more accurately, I think, you know, we, we have to accept that yes. uh, than a human. And so the skills are quite different, right? Because so much of it has been about recall, recall yes. of information. But now, of course, the skills are going to be very different, you know, it's, and there's going to be more time for patient care. Yeah. And you would like to think that, of course, we need more people in the in the health profession as well that people can skill up a lot quicker uh, and younger people and the experience won't be as important maybe as it has been in the past. So it'll eliminate biases at least. Yeah. I don't, I, I want to make sure that everyone gets that equal opportunity, but I think sometimes we lean on experience by age or tenure. And I think this creates sort of more equal opportunity in some ways. And I think that will then help us um, get, you know, even more creative and innovative in Australian businesses. Absolutely. So uh, we can accelerate potential exactly. over experience, right? I like it. We've also heard the fear and the panic with the release of AI that it will destroy the world, but also destroy jobs. Mm. <laughs> and so obviously there is a, a threat there as well. But you know, what, how do you sort of see that playing out prediction around, which also I think is linked to upskilling and reskilling, right? Yeah, that's right. Look, I think our position at Microsoft has been much more about this concept of co-pilot, that the human is still at the centre of everything that that happens. And I like that frame, right? Because yeah. I don't think it's, it's just a really clever and important way to, to reframe it. Do I think that there are roles that may be impacted over time. I think it wouldn't be fair to say that there aren't things that are going to to change dramatically. But I think for me, it is maybe they were the roles that we do need to reskill, transform, and really think differently about because of the value creation that they then create. So I see both sides to it. I see the definite view of how this co-pilot puts the human in the center, but I think we're going to have to really assess um, the roles of the future as well. And I, and I know with our own workforce planning assignment that we're doing with the Future Skills yep. Organization, this needs to be a core part of that conversation because things will play out in the next six months, 12 months, two years and five years as the technology continues to advance. So I'm optimist at heart. Yep, me too. And uh, John, I've got, th I've got a theory around this. Do you want to hear my theory? I do. It's very optimistic. I think it's realistic as well. Yes. So do you remember like five years ago, 10 years ago, automation's coming, automation's coming, unemployment will go up. Yeah. Well, here we are. We've actually got the lowest unemployment we've had in a long, long time. Yeah. And it's crazy. Governments are actually trying to lift unemployment rates mm. at the moment, right? So we have seen <laughs> we have seen more incremental steps in technology. Maybe AI yeah. is a step change, right? But new jobs just will get created. That's just what's happened historically. Yeah. 
we talked about the productivity boost from the yes. TCA, right? Yes. And with more productivity in the economy, how do we actually manage to, to take that additional benefit? And I think that the positive thing here is we can move more people, resource and investment into the energy transition. Mm. You know, we've got record breaking temperatures in parts of the world. Yes. The world is boiling. So I think there is some a lot to be very optimistic about. And I must recommend this if you haven't read it yet. And for the listeners, Mark Andreessen mm. uh, has just released a, an essay called AI Will Save the World. Mm. Also shares a lot of these positive views. Uh, and so I think there's a lot to be very optimistic about. It's great. Well, it's funny. I'll tell a very, very quick story. I was flying back from um, Seoul to Tokyo and I sat next to a couple who were spending one night in Tokyo and it was their very, very first time. And they said to me as we were descending, you know, what should I do? And I said, well, why don't we ask Bing Chat what you should do? If you're spending a night in Tokyo, you know what we do. So I brought up Bing Chat and the recommendations were fantastic. Like yeah. I was like, I really want to go to these things. But their reaction was not so like interested. And I kind of came back to that at the end of the day, there's this thing around human intelligence. And I think all they wanted to know from me is they just wanted to not necessarily know the best things. They just wanted to know what I thought. So it was one of those real moments that I thought, wow, you know, is this going to replace certain things? Maybe not. But I think what it's going to do is it's going to continue to reinforce that it's not just artificial intelligence, actually what the core of everybody is, it's human intelligence. So I think that you've touched upon something that is worth exploring a bit more, which is this inherent need that we all have for human connection, mm. right? And uh, I think that also goes to community. Yep. You know, we've spoken about this before as well. Of course, you know that I've moved to the country. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I've also joined a members club, which is also about community. Yes. And, you know, I think that deep down, my family, my, certainly my wife and I and our family, we were probably craving more sense of, of community and connection. So there's definitely a trend there. Uh, you are living my best life, even though I grew up and shared with you sort of how I wanted to move away from rural community. I do have a longing for it because there's something about being connected to nature and to the outdoors. And maybe it's because I lived nearly 18 years in Seattle where you don't see a lot of the sun, but I have really longed for that connection and not just to the earth, but also to the communities that support those environments as well. So we may be neighbours soon. I don't have anything to share with you today, but I know that I'm curious, like, what have you learned from the whole experience when it comes to leadership and your family? Because I, I every time I see you, I'm like, I want to know more. I want to learn more because that's something that I've just always desired. I think first of all that I've just noticed over a quite a long period that people from the country have just got really great values. Mm. Uh, having worked with you know a whole bunch of people, and look, I love being in the city as well. I'm here, you know, a few days a week. But uh, look, there's just something about country values. Mm. I think and people from remote and regional areas, and I think that we wanted that for our kids, and uh, you know, we obviously wanted to, as well to ensure that they had as much opportunity as possible. Yeah. And I think that it's possible to have both. A bit of this was COVID related yes. as well, of course. Yeah. Uh, but um, look, I think I totally agree with you on nature. To be able to to walk and observe nature and to you know be within 
a beautiful environment and to see animals, it just, it does something that is quite ephemeral and difficult to put your finger on. I couldn't even describe it, but I know it's having a good effect on all of us. That's tremendous. And you keep on, you know, lifting my need to do same. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite animal, by the way? Go on. What is it? What's your favorite animal? Mine, personally. Yeah, like on the farm or... Oh, uh, well, firstly, I'm a massive, massive dog person, uh, but uh, I love horses. So, yeah, go. we have horses behind and... So, yeah. we have so much in common, Mark, from technology to skilling to horses now. It's just incredible to, to, to share this with you. Rachel, it's been awesome. We've covered a fair bit of ground from emerging technologies <laughs> <laughs> to living in the country yes. uh, to our favourite animals. So, maybe just end with... Where do you see the future? Uh, what's your big prediction uh, for the next 10 years? Wow. Big question. Lots of topics today. Um, I'll go back to, you know, what we said at the beginning that we both shared together is that on this topic, we are tech optimist. So I don't, I don't know where it will be in five to 10 years, but I do hope that more collaborations happen that there's more openness to doing things differently and that companies, individuals really embrace this notion of lifelong learning, experimentation, and, you know, being okay if things don't quite go as well as they intended. And that to me is what I would love to see over the next, um, you know, few years for my own girls who will be finishing high school during that time and that they see the possibilities of themselves in that world. And to your point earlier, that we free up more space to deal with some of the societal issues that we face, whether it be sustainability, clean energy, wouldn't it be great? if that we got into a world where we had more time and energy to apply to those things that really will help us make a mark for future generations. So, so that's what I see. And look, the technology is moving so, so fast. I know at Microsoft, there's something that's happening every week. So keeping abreast of what's happening in the industry and how organizations are using it globally is going to be really, really important for every leader that is out there for us. So that's what I see in the future, Mark. Wonderful vulnerability, first of all, and amazing vision. And Rachel Bondi, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been absolutely sensational. I have loved it. I love working with you and I can't wait to see what you and I do together, both our companies working together, but also the work that we do with the Future Skills Organization. And a big shout out to PK, the amazing PK, our CEO. <laughs> Patrick Kidd. Um, Patrick Kidd. Shout out to Patrick. Say, shout out to Patrick. Okay. I'm really looking forward to our partnership there. So thanks for having me today. Bada boom, bada bing. There we go. Bing is back. <laughs> <laughs>